Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 637 for May 2nd, 2020. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, we have Bart Bouchot's back with Programming by Stealth. Uh, let's see, installment 95, I think we're on, right, Bart? That's what my notes now say. They were wrong until five <laughs> minutes ago, so don't ask me. Yeah, it's funny when Bart and I are trying to compare notes and he says, you're reading last week's notes. <laughs> Just because the yeah, number was wrong at the top. No end. <laughs> well, and at the beginning, you're going to review stuff from last week. So it sounded like last week. So it was a perfectly reasonable thing to expect. Yeah, I actually think I confused myself by reusing last week's code as part of the setup. Yeah. Well, as I told Bart, uh, these notes are incredibly well written, as well written as anything he's ever done. And yet after I read them, I'm this is hard. This is, this is a harder one than usual, so uh, I may be stuck from time to time. Just a fair warning. Well, we are approaching the peak JavaScript. Um, like, these are the last few concepts for us to wrap up JavaScript and to wrap up object orientation. So we're not, like, th this is not the easy stuff. This is... Would you call this it the is pointy the, end? The point, yeah, this is the pointy end we're getting to here. Like, this is serious stuff, and I'm hoping it will make sense by the end. But you're right; it's it, this isn't hello world. We've <laughs> we've done a little. So, at the very least, we could say thank goodness Allison read the notes ahead of time. <laughs> Indeed. Well, let's let's see if we can make this into a coherent narrative. Um, so this is our third chunk of object-oriented programming. Um, so we we started with sort of object-oriented uh, OO's precursor, which is just encapsulation. So you're building a single bespoke object which contains data and the functions for manipulating that data encapsulated into a single thing, which we call an object. And in JavaScript, we use dictionaries for that. And so each one is bespoke and special. And then we said, yeah, but actually, the objects you want to build are very often very similar to each other. So they come in sort of species, if you want to think of it in the animal kingdom. And each species, we, in fact, as programmers, we call that a class. And so we can define a class and then use that class to stamp out individual examples of said thing, said concept or said whatever. So the example we used to illustrate the point was we made a class to represent imaginary currencies as a concept, and we specifically made objects representing the Ferengi bar of gold press latinum and the Quatlu from the Star Trek universe. And indeed, before then, we had done um, the Huniacker, and uh, might have made up one, the Squid. <laughs> so the difference being the class is abstract. It's describing imaginary currencies and the Quatlu, the Ferengi bar of gold press atinum, those are concrete examples of that abstract. So the, the class is the abstract, which then stamps out specific examples. And right. the function that does the stamping is the constructor function. So that's obviously a very important function. And we spent pretty much the entirety of last installment focusing on making the world's best constructors. Like, we really... There is nothing I left out of that constructor. Like, but when we finished up, we had a Rolls-Royce constructor as good as anything I would use in shipping code that is, you know, holding up tens of thousands of students and so forth in various systems 
at work. Like that is as good of a constructor as I would write at work, perhaps even slightly better because you're all watching. <laughs> okay. So we clearly we've that bit nailed. But of course, you're encapsulating pieces of data as well as just a constructor function. So those pieces of data, those data attributes, they were a weak point where we left our story last time. So if you try to build an imaginary currency with garbage, bogus data, the constructor would validate the data, coerce it if possible, and if it couldn't coerce it, it would throw an error. And we then ended by saying, yeah, great. So you, you say, you know, currency, my currency equals new currency. And then we just change the attribute to any value we want. And, you know, the number of decimal places equals smiley face. The constructor wouldn't have let that through, but we just access the attribute directly and, oh, sugar, no error. No, in, in our example, we're doing that from the console. How would, how would a user do that to it? Just put it in a line of code. Same line of code, right? Anything you put in the console, you can type in your HTML file. Okay. You can open an so, HTML file. Include. Okay. This isn't like Joe Blow who has gone to your website. Joe no, right. So the users, about... the users of your class are programmers. Right? Ah, there we go. There we go. Gotcha. 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 I'm with you. Dorothy now, did it maybe to me. You, Dorothy, right? you may, you may wear, you may wear both hats much of the time. You may be the person who writes the class and the person who uses the class. Who turns but, around and screws up their own code? <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's a pretty good way of. Like, I am the only author in a whole lot of code and work, but I will write classes. And then I will use those classes. So I, I may only have to define the class once and I get to use it for 10 years. Right? Because the definition, we have a unique and special right. definition of an academic year. So I wrapped that up in the JavaScript class years ago to deal with the various weird permutations. Because we number our student, our years of study, not by the month they start, but by the month we expect you to graduate. <laughs> so when you start in September 2019, you have started the academic year 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah, just to confuse it. Anyway, that's another here or there. So I wrote the class to wrap that all up years ago, and I just use it all the time because I'm always dealing with academic years. That's that's my job. Um, but in larger teams, you may be using classes written by other people. In the open source world, you're using classes written by complete total and utter strangers. I have no idea who wrote the various classes that underpin jQuery's magic. They're pretty well hidden from us through the dollar function, but underneath the scenes, if we view source, I am sure there are classes in there. So a lot of times the user of your classes could be a total stranger. So you do want to make robust classes. So we can re-demonstrate the problem by opening the last example from last week. So it has the world's best constructor, imaginary currency 4.js is the file, and we access it through PBS94D that HTML, and we pop up the old console, and we can prove that we have a really versatile constructor, right? So we can call the constructor without any arguments at all, and it will pick sensible, sane defaults. And then we can call the constructor specifying two string arguments, and it will do something quite sensible. The first string argument is used as the name of the currency, and the second is the descriptor, and then all the rest gets its defaults. So that's actually not a bad outcome either, right? So we default to the dollar sign. Um, seems reasonable. So, yeah. you know, we default to two decimal places. Seems reasonable. 
And then we can call the constructor with a dictionary so that we can specify whatever we want. So name, description, HTML, and symbol HTML. And that does something sensible, and whatever we don't specify gets defaulted. Or we can call the constructor with every single supported value in the dictionary. So we can just be completely bespoke, a custom name, a custom description, a custom symbol, a custom HTML symbol, and one decimal place. Why not? Because you can. Because I can, exactly. So that shows quite clearly how flexible we have made that constructor. Um, I'm going to preempt a question that you were asking me earlier. So each of those calls to the constructor is using a different signature. So the first signature is no arguments. The second signature is two strings. Uh, well, the last two are using the same signature, one dictionary. Okay, so a signature is how many different of the available variables did you define? It is the pattern of arguments to the function. So no arguments is one pattern. Two strings is another pattern. And one dictionary is another pattern. Of this particular class? Of this particular constructor. Or constructor. Okay. Okay. Right. So a function right. can choose to intelligently decide what to do depending on the number and type of argument. And so you've seen this with the dollar function, right? If you give the dollar function a string, it does one thing. If you give the dollar function um, a jQuery object, it does something else. If you give the dollar function a callback, it does something else. Like the, the dollar function does different things depending on what you put into it. So each of those different things is a different signature. Right, but when you said specifically two strings was a different signature, mm -hmm. three strings would be a different signature, four strings would be a different signature. Yes, correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and we can demonstrate the constructor's robustness by saying the first thing is we coerce when possible. So if we pass num decimal places as the string eight, that's not a number, and we really do want a number. But if you give me the string eight and I want a number eight, that I can deal with programmatically, and the class does. So that won't throw an error. That will just do the right thing, convert that string eight into the number eight, and carry on with life. So that's called coercion. That's a pretty good thing for it to be able to do. Uh, it'll also coerce something which has got decimal places, like, say, math.py. It'll coerce that into a whole number of decimal places, so that'll be three. Again, quite sensible. And when you finally push things too far and you give the constructor garbage that it can't coerce, at that point, it doesn't just silently, it doesn't just, you know, take garbage data. It's, does, it's done its best to be helpful. It, you weren't. You didn't let it do a default. You didn't give it something coercible. So finally, it gives up and it throws errors, either a type error if you give it complete rubbish, or a range error if you give it something of the right type, but of an unacceptable value. So the string square root symbol minus one is a string. So that's obviously a type error. The number minus two for the number of decimal places. Well, it is a number, so it's not a type error. But minus two decimal places is head bending. That is <laughs> garbage. Therefore, it throws a range error. So you got the type right, right but right. Nah, I can't work with that. So the constructor is flexible and robust. But if we try to access the data attributes directly, we can do anything. So const evil dollar becomes equal to new imaginary color evil dollar. So we're using the one string signature. 
I think evil. Meant imaginary currency, evil dollar. You saw yes. you saw the purple face and your brain said color. He put in the uh, icon yeah. or the emoji for a, a little purple devil. <laughs> Indeed. So we've made our evil dollar, and the first thing we do is say evil dollar dot num decimal places becomes equal to the string emoji for the devil smiling. <laughs> that is not a valid number of decimal places. And yet there was no error thrown. Uh, and when we call our functions, what we basically get is weird results because we're giving JavaScript silly input to our various functions. So clearly the constructor is now very well behaved, but our data attributes have no manners whatsoever. So we need to somehow give them the same protection we gave to data entered via the constructor. So how do we do that? The answer is we use getters and setters, which is the entirety of today's content. So that one I have been hearing about this this getter setter thing on uh, the Accidental Tech Podcast when they get deep into programming, and I've been wanting to know what it was. Today's the well, day. It is a very hip, modern feature that some nice programming languages have and others don't. Hmm. So it's not a JavaScript thing, strictly speaking. But JavaScript is one of the languages that does support it. So it exists in many languages, but it's far from ubiquitous because lots of languages don't have getters and setters. And unfortunately, we get to play with them here in JavaScript world. And when we move on to PHP soon, no more getters and setters. Oh. PHP is, is not hip. We're going to learn but, it today and then it's gone. Well, it's not gone because when we move on to PHP, we're still going to be using JavaScript, HTML, CSS. Oh, good. I didn't know that. Right. I thought just JavaScript, we're done. Well, Close no, book. because the yeah. internet is a game of two halves, right? You have client side and server side. So yeah, we get to play on the server side too. Ah. But we still need a client side or our users are going to be very cranky with us. All right. So getters and setters are functions pretending to be data attributes. Or data attribute, yeah, they're basically functions masquerading as data attributes. So depending on how you look at them, this is almost a bit like quantum physics, right? So if you ask quantum physics a wavy question, the universe behaves in a wavy way. And if you ask quantum physics a particle question, the universe behaves in a particle way. Well, depending on your point of view, so depending on the question you're asking, getters and setters look completely different to each other. So from the point of view of the author of the class, so you are creating a class that either you or someone else will use later. You as a programmer writing the class, to you, a getter is a function that takes no arguments and must return a value. Now, get, right? So get must return something. That makes sense. No arguments and it must return a value. And a setter is the opposite. It's a function that takes exactly one argument and doesn't return anything. So you that as a programmer are writing perfect functions. sense. That, that, that makes perfect sense. If I tell you to go get me a glass of water, I don't expect you to take a glass from me to go get it. You're just going to go get it. Exactly. And the other way around, if I tell you to go put something away, well, then I give it to you and I don't want you to come back with it. I've just right. given it to you. That was the right. point. That terminology makes sense. So I'm glad about that. Excellent. I wasn't so lost yet in the notes here is what I'm saying. So that's the point of view of the person creating the class. Okay. So if we swap around and we put our other hat on and we become the programmer using the class, 
then a pair of getters and setters behave like a single data attribute. Mm-hmm. But not just any old data attribute, a data attribute with superpowers. <laughs> so two functions become one attribute. So two becomes one. Okay, you're going to have to talk me into that. We, well, we, when we start writing our own, it will become very obvious that we were always writing two. And in our, in our examples, we, it comes out as one thing. So our, hmm. we, we need to make two things to get one thing to work. Okay. Like a pair of trousers. Got to have two legs to have a pair of trousers. Ooh, that's a good analogy. Yeah, I just made that up. Um, <laughs> what else comes in pairs? Um, and we have actually already made use of getters and setters because JavaScript's built-in classes and functions and things make heavy use of getters and setters. But because we're always from the point of view of a user, we don't think of them as getters and setters, but we've actually already met one of the superpowers. We just didn't realize it had a superpower. So we know that there exists what appears to be a data attribute called math.py. Right? We know it's a data attribute because we get the value without having to expelliarmus it, without having to put parens after it. If math.py was a function we called, it would end with open and close parens. It doesn't, so it's a data attribute, and it has a value, 3.1415. I wish I knew more. I'm a bad physicist. <laughs> right? Right. So it behaves like a variable. It just hap- it behaves as if someone gave us a very convenient variable and popped it into the global scope for us so we don't have to remember how many decimal places, et cetera, et cetera. And we could try simulate that ourselves by making our own naive version of math.py. So var naive math becomes equal to the dictionary, pi colon math.py. So we say naive pi is naive math.py and real pi is math.py. And when we print that out in the template string, we see that unsurprisingly, naive pi is 3.1415926, blah, blah, blah. And real pi is 3.14, same number. Nothing even vaguely out of the ordinary here, I hope. Right. I'm with you so far. So now let's try be evil. Naive math.py becomes equal to four. Math.py becomes equal to four. You can paste that into any JavaScript console and you will not get an error. Those two lines will just go in absolutely fine. So now let's log the same log statement again and see what the value of naive pi and math.py have become. And if the universe behaved in the way, if, if there were no such thing as getters and setters, the expected outcome would be four and four. Do you agree? I agree. Try it, and that's not the output you will get. Uh, it did. <laughs> what did I... No, that can't be right. Hang on. I mean, there we go. Hang on. No, it did not. Naive pi is four, and the real pi is 3.14159. So we set math.py equal to four. We didn't get an error, and yet it just somehow magically restored itself, or it protected itself. It, it in some way stopped us messing around with it. 
So is it just a getter because I can't, I'm not allowed to give it a glass to go get the water? Yes, is the answer to that. I wasn't so, planning on explaining how it did a superpower just yet, but yes, that is exactly okay. what is going on here. It is a getter that is missing its setter. So I tell you and, to go get me water and I try to hand you a glass and you just ignore me. You don't give me an error and say, hey, I'm not supposed to take a glass with me. I'm supposed to go get a new one. Well, no, you 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 take the glass. You pretend to have listened. It's, it's even worse. Like You pretend, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will totally do that for you. No problem. And then you just toss it over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go put that in the press. <laughs> okay, okay. Good. Mm -hmm. that, that makes me understand even better. All right. So... Our, when we actually implemented it as a dictionary, it obviously set it to four. But the real math.py is way cleverer than that. It looks like a normal attribute. It looks like a normal piece of data. But it isn't. It has a superpower. It is immutable. I had to look up that word. For everyone who doesn't already know, that means it can't be changed. Indeed. So immutability is just a potential superpower. And this example just shows that you can do weird stuff with any data attributes, right? Because in JavaScript, getters and setters are actually older than classes. Getters and setters existed before the wonderful ES6 was released, which brought along the class keyword. So getters and setters are actually been around for quite some time. Now, we are only going to use them within classes because that's where they make the most sense and that's where they've really come into their own. So... For the rest of this example, we are going to look at how we can use getters and setters to make our class data attributes as Rolls-Royce as the constructors we built last time. So we're going to teach them how to throw the cup over their shoulder as they leave if we, if we don't want them to take, their, take ver uh, values? That is one of the things we will learn, but we're going to actually learn more practical things first because pi is a little bit unusual, right? So if you think back to our example of our imaginary currencies, it's perfectly reasonable to change the number of decimal places. There are many acceptable numbers oh, of decimal right. places. Yeah. We just want to throw away garbage. And the question is, do we want to do it silently or do we want to actually throw an error so the programmer has a chance to respond? I would argue that you don't actually want to silently ignore bad values. You want to throw a type error or a range error in response. Mm -hmm. So really, you want to make your attributes behave as well as your constructor did. Now, one of the things I said to you way back when we started with encapsulation is that in many languages, encapsulation provides the ability to collect data and functions together, which is true in JavaScript. That's in fact true in every language that does encapsulation. But I said that some languages do more. They allow you to provide access control to that data. So you can have the concept of a, of a piece of data being encapsulated in an object in such a way that it can't be messed with from the outside. JavaScript is not one of those languages. And so to get around that fact, we as the JavaScript community have collectively decided on a convention. Basically, thou shalt pretend underscore bestows invisibility. <laughs> okay. Thou shalt pretend that if it starts with an underscore, you cannot see it. We will pretend it is actually inaccessible. It's not so really it's, inaccessible. It's a, it's a gentle person's agreement? Yes, that is exactly what it is. And it's kind of a contract. So... Hmm. 
I've put the important stuff in bold. So from the point of view of someone using JavaScript classes written by others, right? So you are using jQuery or you are using moment.js or you are using Bootstrap. As a user of a class, if you want that class to behave well and reliably and to be to obey its documentation, you never, ever, ever use any attribute or function whose name starts with an underscore. Huh. If you want them to be well-behaved, do not use things that start with an underscore. Now, you're extremely unlikely to be tempted to because one of the things that people who write these things do is they don't document the stuff they don't want you to use. <laughs> so unless you download jQuery source code or Bootstrap source code, and actually start looking inside, looking under the hood, then you will see these underscore variables and functions. But they're not in the documentation because you're not supposed to use them. You're supposed to pretend they're invisible. So they're obviously not going to tell you they're there because then you're just going to be tempted, right? Don't push the red button. Uh... <laughs> I, I really find this extraordinary that uh, this, this talks about one of the great things of humanity is that we can agree on something like this where nobody said we had to. Right. But we're just going to do it because it has value. Okay, let's all do it this way. And the reason it survives is because if you obey the rule, your code will work reliably. And if you disobey the rule, you'll have weird bugs. So it's in yeah. your best interest to obey the rule. Now, there's a converse rule. So if you're using a class, you don't go near the underscore stuff. It's not for you. If you're writing a class and there are things you don't want the users of your class to mess with, then it is the onus is on you to signal that fact in two ways. Name it with an underscore and don't document it. Do not put it in the API documentation you give to the public. Don't tell huh. them about the red button you want them not to push. Are you allowed to put comments next to it? Oh, God, yes. Do everything oh, you okay. can to help yourself and do everything okay. you can to help other people contribute to the class. Okay. If it's an open source project, you want to make it easy. Okay, actually, I'll give you a really good practical example. So when I am writing code, and J, it's one of the many reasons I love JS Doc, you can mark a piece of documentation as being private. And so all the underscore stuff, you just put an at private in the doc comment. And then when I build my project, two sets of documentation come out. The public documentation and the full documentation. So when Bart has to go back and do something, he knows how to fix it. Correct. And when or other contributors in the organization who write the class need to go in and make the class do something else, they see what the private variables are, what the private functions are, and the full documentation for how they work. But someone using the class, as opposed to writing the class, uses the public documentation, and they only see the bits they're supposed to mess with. Cool. It does work That's very well. It's a really good convention, which is why it survived. Because if it was silly, it wouldn't have survived. Right, right. So, thou shalt pretend underscores bestow invisibility. Okay? Mm -hmm. I agree. So, let us now create attributes that make use of the convention and getters and setters. So, we want to add one attribute, and we need three things. So, one attribute has three things holding it into place, three pieces. So like like the Blessed Trinity, as uh, St. Patrick said to the Irish pagans, a shamrock has three leaves and together it is one, right? One attribute has three parts. It has a private 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge, data attribute that we're going to use to store the sanitized value. It has a getter to publish that private value to the world and a setter to intelligently accept new values for that attribute and apply the rules we want to apply. Okay. That makes sense. So somewhere to actually store it, which we name with an underscore, which means we don't, we trust you not to go directly access it because we've named it with an underscore. You have a getter to go fetch it for you. And we have a setter where we will accept values from you, vet those values in the same way the constructor vetted the arguments. And then if we're happy, we'll store it for you in the secret variable we're both pretending you don't know about. And if you've given me garbage, I'll throw an error. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's all, so all three are pointing at doing something with this value, the same value. Correct. So the one okay. attribute has these three pieces to make it go. Okay. So the simplest class I could come up with is the class to describe a circle because a circle can be described perfectly with a single attribute, its radius. <laughs> so there's a file, circle1.js, which contains a fully commented version of this class, but to show its structure, I have the comment-free version here in the show notes. So class circle. Remember, capital C, because as we learned last time, the other convention is classes start with capital letters and are in camel case, so circle, capital C. It has a constructor function, takes one argument, radius with a default value of one. So constructor radius equals one. Const radius number becomes equal to parse float the radius. Convert whatever they gave me to a, try convert whatever they gave me to a number. In other words, coercion. We are trying to be as helpful as possible. If is not a number, radius number. In other words, if the coercion failed, throw a type error. Radius must be a number greater than or equal to zero. If radius number is less than zero, well, it's a number. We managed to have, you know, we got halfway there. We managed to get it to be a number because is nan didn't happen. So we can throw a range error. Radius cannot be negative because I don't, that doesn't make any sense to be a circle with a radius of minus two. That is definitely garbage. And if all of that is fine, then we store the radius we were passed, not in this dot radius like we would have done last week, but in this dot underscore radius becomes equal to radius hmm. Okay. So we're saving it in our super secret variable that we're pretending you can't see as a user of my class. But the user would see the variable radius. Well, they will in a moment when we create the getter and setter. Okay. All right. So right now they've passed an argument to the constructor and the constructor has magicked into a hidden place. Now the class must provide you a method of accessing this hidden place. So to make a getter... You take the word get and you put it in front of a normal function definition within a class. So if I wanted to make an, an instance function within a class called boogers, I would say boogers, open parens, put in the arguments, close parens, curly bracket, put in the code, code cur close curly bracket. In this case, I want to make a getter for the attribute radius. So get space radius. And getters take zero arguments. So the parens just open and close, no arguments. And then we put in the code. Well, the code is very simple. Go to the super secret box we're all pretending you can't see and just return that value. So return this dot underscore radius. The getter oh, okay. is supremely simple. In this first incarnation, the setter is as simplistic. The syntax is set and then the name of the attribute. And then we must 
name one argument or JavaScript says, no, setters must have one argument. I chose to name the argument radius because that's what we're setting. So set radius, open parens, radius, close parens. This dot underscore radius becomes equal to radius. We put the thing you gave me into the super secret box. So let we me have see applied. if I can say what that what that means okay. again, since you used the word radius three times, ta four times in two lines. So we're going to set this variable that the user can see. Can, we want them to be allowed to set. So we're calling the variable radius. Mm -hmm. We're going to use it. We have to give it an input. So we might as well call it radius. We could have called it mm -hmm. R or something, whatever. We could have called it R or boogers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take that that input that they gave us, which is what's in the parentheses, which is radius, which could have been R. And we're going to put that into this dot underscore radius. So now we have set this secret variable. We took the outside one and we hit it. We put it inside this inside one that nobody else is allowed to mess around with directly, but only after they behave themselves. Correct. Spot on. Perfect. Okay. So we have now used getters and setters to make an attribute as dumb as the one we started with. <laughs> right? But we've built a scaffold which now gives us the ability to be more clever. So before we go on to make it more clever, let's prove it does what I say it does. Let's prove that this behaves exactly the same way as just saying this dot radius becomes equal to whatever like we did last week. So if you open PBS95A, it brings in circle1.js, so we can use its console to play around. So we can say const circle1 becomes equal to new circle5. I just picked the number. doesn't really matter. We can console.log radius is equal to circle1.radius, and it will be 5. And then we can say circle1.radius becomes equal to 3. And we can console.log circle.radius again, or circle1.radius again, and it will now be 3. So it's behaving just like num decimal places did. Right? When we ask it for its value, we get back its value. And when we assign it equal to a new value, it obliges and becomes equal to the new value. Okay. And All it's right. still stupid, right? No superpowers yet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what a superpower looks like yet. Right. Because I can still do dumb things like set the radius equal to the evil emoji. Anyway, well, can. I can because I haven't given it any superpowers. So I have, I have well, basically a found a more complicated way to make an equally dumb attribute. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! No, we went through all that trouble to say it had to be a number in it the constructor. Be in the constructor, so our constructor is still Rolls Royce, but our attributes ah, are still as okay, dumb as everywhere. I got you. Okay. All right. So we have simply found a better structure to be as dumb as we were before, but this structure. <laughs> allows us to become clever. So let us move on to circle2.js. And this code is actually, you can find all the same pieces of code in, in the second version of the class, but we've moved some stuff around. So we've taken all that intelligent code out of the constructor and we have put it into the setter. So the setter now does the coercion. The setter now checks if the value is successfully converted to a number, and if it doesn't, it throws a type error. And the setter then checks whether or not the number is less than zero, and if it is, it throws a range error. And only then does the setter finally put the number in the super secret box. So the setter has now inherited all of the intelligence that we had initially given to our constructor. Okay. 
So what if we don't? Why do I ask that dumb question? Because that explained, illustrated exactly why that didn't wouldn't have helped us. Exactly. Thank you. You played your role perfectly. <laughs> so, what have we done with the constructor? Well, we've simply called our setter from the constructor by saying this dot radius becomes equal to whatever they passed in as the first argument. Mm -hmm. So the constructor still applies the logic; it just applies it via the setter. And now, the setter has all the intelligence. So now, if we try to do something evil, we are stopped. So we say const my circle becomes equal to new circle. We can console.log and we can see that my circle.radius defaulted to one. Fine. Then we try my circle.radius becomes equal to evil emoji. Aha! Now you get a type error. Now our attribute is as smart as our constructor. Okay. It's a superpower. <laughs> Okay. Good. That's actually really impressive. <laughs> I loved reading your notes because there were lots of exclamation points around this kind of stuff. <laughs> Good. So that is, if you if you learn nothing else today, it has been an immensely important day. Oh, good. everything! Everything from here down is a bonus. So this is this is the most important concept. You can use getters and setters to apply validation to your data attributes. Therefore, it no longer is possible to create a circle with a valid radius via the constructor and then change it to something garbage later. You can't be any more dumb later than you could be initially. Right? Same <laughs> the same rules apply through all time. But getters and setters are so darn cool you don't have to stop by just protecting the data. You can actually make virtual attributes. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason I chose the circle class, because the circle is a great example of something that has, that's actually very common, but it's really easy to understand with a circle. So I told you I can perfectly describe a circle with a single number, its radius. So the only thing I should be storing is the radius. That is the essential essence of circlehood. But a circle has other properties. It has a diameter. It has a circumference. And it has an area. So they are data attributes. But they're not independent of each other. right? If you think of our currency, we had independent variables. The number of decimal places in the symbol have nothing to do with each other. The description and the symbol have nothing to do with each other. The name and the number of decimal places have nothing to do with each other. But the diameter and the radius? But they are. The diameter is twice the radius. Right. Okay. Right? So they yeah. are connected. So if I tried to store those as separate secret lockboxes, I would have to do an awful lot of work to make sure they never got out of sync with each other. Oh, right, right. Because if someone said, give me a circle, and I set the radius to four, and I set the diameter to two, well, the radius had better have changed to one. So you have a lot of work to do there. If you store all of these properties, you have to update them all every time you update any of them. Wouldn't it be much, much, much nicer to avoid that, to only store the radius and then to do something sensible to get at the other properties? Now, if we 
get rid of getters and setters, the only way to do that is by picking one to be like the Uber property, which would be radius, and then representing all the other data as if it was a function. So you could write a function called get diameter and write a function called set diameter, and set diameter would take a value, divide it by two, and then store it as the radius, and get diameter would get the radius, multiply it by two, and then return it. Right? Yeah. I mean, is that what we're going to do? Well, in JavaScript world, we could be we could be one step slightly less unintelligent, and we could combine those two into one function with two signatures. The no argument signature returns the radius multiplied by two, and the one argument signature accepts a new radius or accepts a diameter divided by two and stores it as the radius. So hang on, so hang the, on, hang on. You're, uh, why? Okay. Why would I accept? two arguments if only one two? of them's going to be any well no that's why i inferred that that you said uh, maybe you Let said me say one, signature, one signature was having no argument how can i Correct. give no argument then i'm not setting the ar setting it exactly you're getting it if you give no arguments you want to get it and if you give me one argument you want to set it which is how jquery behaves so i'm going to ask you what the the radius of a circle is and not tell you what circle I want? No, 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 no. You have a circle, right? You have my circle becomes equal to the new circle, and then you want to get the diameter of the circle. But so I we provide a function called diameter. Pardon? I haven't told it what size circle to make. You did. If you I called didn't... a constructor to make a circle, and that that object that you built that is an instance of the class circle has a function diameter. But you said I wasn't going to give it a, a an argument, so it's just going to be the default radius of one in your example. No, no, no. I'm not. No, 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 no. Not not the constructor. I'm not talking about giving the constructor arguments. I'm talking about calling a function. So remember our currency. We had a function called describe. That wasn't yeah. the constructor. We had a function called describe. So diameter is a function like describe. It's not the constructor. It's a function that each of the encapsulated objects have. So remember, an object has data and functions. Yeah, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around diameter being a function. Diameter is a number. It's like three. Well, that would be what's returned, yeah. Okay, I I don't. Okay, I'll tell you, you what. This the context is, I am not going you... to confuse. This is this is a. I thought this would help you understand. It isn't. Skip it completely because this is the wrong solution. This is the wrong thing to do. This is what we would do if we didn't have getters and setters. So if this is confusing, doesn't matter. This is the wrong okay. solution. So let's not dwell on it. Okay. It's this example has failed. Um, it, I was <laughs> trying to show how cool getters and setters are, and I have failed. Well, ignore no. that. Let's jump on to doing it the right way. Okay. Right. We're going to move on. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. So the problem to be solved is that we only want to store the radius, but we still want to give people the ability to interact with the diameter. So we take our existing class and we don't delete anything. Right, We leave the radius attribute as it is. We leave the constructor as it is. We add to our existing class an additional attribute. 
but it's a pretend attribute. Diameter is going to store values into the same super secret lockbox we've been using for radius. In fact, the diameter getter and setter are not going to get and set the diameter. They're going to actually get and set the radius and do some math. Okay. So let's start with the getter. Get diameter returns this dot underscore radius multiplied by two. Okay. So that I see that diameter is now a function. I feel better about that. <laughs> well, it's a getter. So the person using the class will not realize it's a function. They will just think it's a, a data attribute. Okay. But when they make a circle and they ask for its diameter, they will get back twice the radius. Okay. Makes sense. And if they try to assign a new value to the diameter, what do we want to do? Well, we want to do all the validation we did before to make sure that they gave us something sane and sensible, recursive possible. And uh, when we want to actually store it, we store it into the radius lockbox. And because we're dividing by two, we have to be a little bit cleverer. If the diameter they gave us is zero, we set the radius to zero. We do not try to divide by anything. Actually, wouldn't they have given us a divide by zero error now they look at it? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would have let them give me zero. It's a valid circle. So it's the infinitely small circle. Yeah, that's not a circle at all. It's a point. Yes. Um uh, and then it? we say <laughs> we set the radius to half of what they gave us. Okay. So from the point of view of someone using this new class, it works perfectly. So circle3.js includes that new getter and setter pair. So let's look at that from the point of view of a user of the class in PBS95C. So we make ourselves a circle. Const c1 becomes equal to new circle. And then we say c1.diameter becomes equal to 4. So we're using the setter. And if we console.log, we say a circle with a diameter of four has a radius of c1.radius. Oh, sorry. So I, I need to say some more English before I show you that example. What works for diameter works for area and for circumference as well. It's just different math. So if mm -hmm. you open circle3.js, you will find three pairs of getters and setters. Get diameter, set diameter. Get circumference, set circumference. Get area, set area. The only okay. difference between them is the math they apply. Their structure is the same. That makes sense. Yep. You, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, Sorry, perfect. that was, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so if we then do that statement, so a circle with a diameter of four has a radius of c1.radius, a circumference of c1.circumference, and an area of c1.area. And when you pop that into the console on PBS95C, you will see that those getters and setters have basically done all the math for you. So you set the diameter to four, so diameter is setter divided by two and then stored it as the radius. And then the getters for, ra for radius, diameter, and, and area did the rest of the work. Yeah. And we can do the same by saying c2.circumference becomes equal to four, or c3.area becomes equal to four. And it will always do all the math for you because the getters and setters are doing the math. So the reason we're so excited about this is that 
um, as a user for a user of this, they can't give us garbage data if we've written our if we've written our error check incorrectly. They can't give us garbage right. data data after the fact. They can't set those values to something stupid later. Correct. So that's the first advantage, and the second advantage is we only store the radius, but we can allow the user to tell us what they want to tell us, right? I've only right. stored the radius, but I, but the user wants the area. No problem. I'll just do the math and give it to them. The user wants to tell me the circumference of the circle they'd like, but I, I'm going to store the radius. That's fine. I'll, I'll take the circumference and turn it into a radius. That's fine by me. So it's very flexible. Now, I'm going to attempt to make a real world example and see whether this fits into this example is, is a student at Bart's University has a student ID and they could mm -hmm. submit their student ID and ask for information about, say, what classes they're in. But maybe they want to put in their name and you'll let them put in their name, but then there's got to be a bunch of error checking to see whether that name is unique and blah, blah, blah. But if it works, sure, I'll tell you what classes you're in. I guess, yeah, that's another way. To, yeah, you could achieve that with getters and setters. Yeah. yeah, and and they can ask for different information that would still have to do with the fact that I'm I'm Bill Boyd. I still get that information. I, maybe I want to know what my grade was in a class. Yeah, is that a dumb example? Yeah. It, well, it, it's a good example of getters and setters. Okay. Um, but in this in that case, you would still have you would store their name. And you would store their student number. Right, but those better stay in sync, Bart. But they can change, right? If I, if I decide that for some reason, or you decide for some reason to change your name by depot, when I change your name, I don't change your student number. I only change your name. Yeah. Whereas radius okay. and diameter are at a special always kind connected. of... Well, they're always okay. connected. So what you're describing you is... run into, though? You do run into it from time to time. Um, okay. And the circle is just the easiest to understand example, because literally, if I change the radius, the diameter has changed. Okay. Right. It's two different views of the same thing. The point uh, being, we uh, here, can use here, a, a material that has a tensile strength and a, uh, uh, and a density. Well, except they're not actually related. No. Yeah, they're not related. No. No, it's, <laughs> only some things in the universe are, are related like diameter and radius. <laughs> okay. Um. But it doesn't matter because you can use getters and setters for both kinds, right? So you can have getters and setters for dependent variables and for independent variables. The question is, the point I'm trying to make is the number of super secret lockboxes doesn't have to be the same as the number of things that you show to the outside. Okay. Right. So in the case of our currency, they would be equal because the number of decimal places, the symbol, the name, the description, they're all independent of each other. So you would have to have a lockbox for each. But in the case of the circle, we have one lockbox for the radius, but we pretend to the world as if we're remembering a diameter and as if we're remembering an area and as if we're remembering a circumference. Okay. But in reality, all we're, all we're remembering is the one thing, the radius. But we can do either, and that's why getters and setters rock. <laughs> and then the last thing I want to do is spin back around to this concept of read-only data attributes, because you actually have a choice to make. You can either be assertive... Or you can tell white lies. Hang on, what do you mean by read-only data well, attribute? So, we're, so math.py was a read-only attribute because we could read its value, but we couldn't write a new value to it. It right. pretended okay. we wrote a value to it, but we didn't really. Okay. 
We didn't make any of those, though, did we? Not yet. That's what we're about to do. Oh, okay. (laughs) So circle4.js, our final file of the day, is the final version of our circle class for now. And I have the only difference between circle three and circle four is that I have added two more attributes. And these attributes are read-only attributes. The first one is going to store the value that we want to use for pi within the class. Maybe I don't want to use as many decimal places as the one that comes with math.py. Maybe I just want to use two decimal places. So I'm going to store pi myself. I'm going to stop using math.py and use my own pi. And the second one I'm going to have is a credit for myself as the author of the class. Okay. Now, math.py, when we try to give it a new value, it just silently ignored us. But there is a second alternative. We can shout loudly if you don't if you try to set a value you shouldn't set. So we can be assertive. As in, we will tell you proactively, oi, no. Or we can tell a white lie and just pretend that we stored the value you gave us. And I have written these two attributes as an example of each approach so that you can see both in action. So the easiest thing to do is to simulate math.py and just be the white lie approach. And the way you do that is by writing a setter and forgetting or omitting to write a matching Sorry, by writing a getter and just not bothering writing a setter. So if you look in circle4.js, there is a get class author, which returns a string Bart Bushitz of Bartfisher Creations at Bartfisher.net. And there is no set class author. It's yeah. a getter on its own. Okay. So if you don't provide a setter, you get the math.py style white lie approach. So I can say const c1 becomes equal to the new circle, console.log, the circle class is by c1.classauthor. Then I can say c1.classauthor becomes equal to pesky plagiarist. Then I console.log, this class is by, and it still shows it's by this Bart Bouchot's fellow. So that's a white lie, right? Why do I call it a white lie? The assignment operator has one job in life, to assign a value. It didn't. And it was silent about the fact that it didn't. The same. I would. Uh, you mean the the equal sign? Yeah, the equal symbol okay. is the assignment Becomes operator in JavaScript. To. Its only job is to assign a value. It didn't give an error, and it didn't assign a value. That's dishonest. I'll call it a white lie because in this case, it doesn't matter that the the assignment was silently ignored. Right? It's inconsequential. But it if didn't it, hurt, was, it didn't hurt the user because they didn't, that wasn't the intention of this thing to do that, to allow you to change that. But it, but you do want to allow them to get it, to find out who the author is. Right. So in this case, that's a, even though it's dishonest, it's arguably fine. But sometimes variables are actually very consequential, right? Pi, the, the value that the class uses for pi is going to determine the exact value of the areas and the diameters and so forth that it returns. So that has consequence. So if a user tries to alter something that will have a consequence and you pretend as if you did, but you actually didn't, well, then the user thinks they have done something consequential, but they haven't. So that spooky action at a distance is actually going to cause weird 
bugs because from the point of view of the user, I wrote an assignment statement. It wasn't assigned, but I never got an error. And now the universe doesn't make sense anymore. Okay. So that kind of behavior, that kind of silent failure leads to really hard to track down bugs. Because like, when you're debugging code that isn't working, does it ever cross your mind that something becomes equal to something else could <laughs> not actually become equal? No. I mean, it happens course, in my own code all the time, but I'm the one who caused it. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. That's, that's not expected behavior. And that's not what you as a programmer are expecting. So it takes ages to find that kind of a thing. Because you're putting a console.log before and after the assignment statement. You're going, but you think it assigned and it didn't assign? What? So I would say that is deeply, deeply impolite at best code. So I would argue that if you are providing a read-only attribute of consequence, you should provide a setter, but that setter should always throw an error. So you are assertively saying, no, this is read-only. So you so actually the, do that in a setter. So you create a setter that says no. You can't correct. You can't set this. So oh. you proactively say no. Huh. So the example in circle 4.js does this by creating a getter and setter for pi. And uh, as a fun aside, remember that uh, JavaScript is fully UTF-8 aware. So you can use symbols as variable names or as function names. So uh, I called my pi pi, as in the symbol pi. Huh. Okay. So get pi, open friends, close friends, returns 3.1415. Set pi. Now, JavaScript insists we give it, an, we give it a, an, an argument. So I just said pi for pi. And the setter says throw new error. Pi is a read only attribute. Okay. So now if the user tries to say, so const c2 becomes equal to new circle, c2.py becomes equal to 3.14, error. Not silent, explicit error. That's really easy to debug as a programmer. Oh, line four says I'm not allowed to do this. Oh, okay. okay. I'm not allowed to do this. Great. Problem solved. Move along. Maybe I wanted to, but maybe this isn't the class for me. <laughs> exactly. You're not spending hours trying to go, but the assignment didn't work. No, it's telling you to your face, no. And that's actually a lot better. So I would say make inconsequential read-only attributes forgiving, but consequential read-only attributes should be assertive. So having sense. the credit not changed, that's inconsequential. So fine if you want to tell white lies. But pi... Be explicit that you're not accepting the change to pi. You are not allowing it to be at two decimal places instead of whatever I had by default, five, four. Right. So a consequential change should assert itself and an inconsequential change, I still think they should all assert themselves, but I'll, I'm prepared to tolerate something inconsequential being silent. Right, right. right. Yeah, oh yeah, it definitely does. This made a lot okay. more sense as you explained it than when I just read it on my own the first time. I, I sometimes wonder whether the people that just read and don't listen, what their experience is learning it, I definitely need to listen and read. I think I would be the same, just from my years of experience. I was always the, I was the person who went to every lecture, not the guy oh, yeah. who just got the notes off a friend, because getting the notes off a friend was 
pretty much as useless as just not going and not getting the notes. There was, there was oh, very yeah. little difference. Um, yeah. So, some final thoughts before we wrap it up for the day. Um, I want to sort of take a little step back here. So, we have now covered everything I had planned to cover for JavaScript. And and this third attempt at explaining OO, we've actually covered everything I had planned to cover on object orientation. Now, behind the scenes, where you didn't see it, myself and listener Jill had a bit of an argument. Hmm. Um, and listener Jill felt that I really, really shouldn't stop here um, because I was leaving out some really important concepts. But I was so afraid of this going horribly wrong that I said, no, 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 well, we're only going to do the very, very basics and leave it at that. Well, these last three installments have gone really well. Oh, no. So we're not going to stop. Oh, Jill. No, no, trust me, this is good, because we are going to move from the client side to the server side. And on the server side, we could, in theory, pick any language we liked. But let's face it, the, the most commonly used open source language is PHP. And PHP uses classes. And PHP is OO. And I have succeeded in explaining three of the important features of OO. Why wouldn't I finish the job? Because <sighs> you're going to need it anyway. Is, the, is this end of the sticks going to just keep getting pointier and pointier? No. I, well, I don't know. I think these remaining two are simpler concepts. Oh, good. But i really bad at judging. <laughs> well, I, no, I th I think that your ability to write this up in a way I can absorb is has improved because obviously I didn't get any smarter. <laughs> it seems to be working much better. That's fingers crossed. So, next installment is going to be the challenge solution because oh. it's been six weeks now, so it's time we touch base on that and. I want to give you an updated version of that challenge because I want you to start writing your own classes. Mm. Uh, so the, the the challenge will be upgraded to require you to write classes to represent your clock. Oh, Bart, I'm already doing that. Great. Brilliant. <laughs> You're still going to like the challenge. Good, good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I hope you aren't guessing a challenge that I'm actually going to try to do. I got to get it done before we get there so that uh, uh, you don't catch me. I, I've known you've been up to something because you've been asking me the world's most cryptic questions. <laughs> yeah, I won't let him see anything. Yeah, it's like, I need your help, but I'm not telling you with what. Like, mm, yeah. I'll do my best. I'm doing the same thing to, to Dorothy. It's, drive, it's driving her crazy because it's really hard to help somebody who won't tell you what they're trying to do. And nope, you can't look at my code. So to put things into a little bit more context, so next time we're going to do the challenge solution, I'm going to set you one last challenge. Then we're going to come back for two installments to wrap up the last two concepts in object orientation, um, which are class attributes and data, as opposed to instance attributes and functions. And then we're going to do inheritance. And that's it. Then we are done with JavaScript and we move away from the client side to the server side because the web is a client-server architecture. Well, we're pretty good on the client now. So how's about we have a look at uh, the other side of the mirror? What's going on in the server? When we, when we use JSON, sorry, not JSON, when we use Ajax to reach out to a web server to get stuff, 
well, what's that web server up to? When we reached out to get the currency conversions, what was that web server doing? When we reached out to get the weather, what was that web server doing? Well, chances are pretty high it was using a language like PHP to talk to a database or something. So uh-huh. it's a whole world for us to enjoy back there. Listener Ed Tobias is going to love this part. He's been dying for me to get into PHP, but he has no idea how much of his life will be sucked away by me asking him for help now. (laughs) He's about to find out. Yeah. But before we do that, I want to take a very short detour into some practical stuff. So at this stage, our challenges are big enough that there is genuine value in using source control. Hmm. And I think before we move to the server side, before we learn a whole new language, we need to just take a moment to learn the basics and not just the basics of a form of source control. And the one I have chosen is the most popular open source one by a country mile, that is Git. So we're going to spend a few weeks doing the basics of Git, and then it's off to the server we go. Good, good. So I've been in the background learning it from... Uh, from Helma, so I I won't be quite as slow on this as I am on some other things. I do hope you will go into uh, branching, because while I understand it conceptually, I have never successfully done one. It's been an utter and complete disaster every time I try to do it. Well, then I will add it to the list. I wasn't sure whether or not to, but if it solves a real problem, then we should do it. Yeah, because there's just times where I'm, I'm working on something and I think, you know what, this is likely to be a disaster. And well, that's what I, a branch is for. Yeah. Right, right. And so now in my code right now, I write things like, I think it said, uh, new code probably wrong starts here. <laughs> new Ooh. code probably wrong ends here so that I could find it when I needed to get rid of it. Yeah. So in source control land, you'd make a branch called experiment one. <laughs> Just make your changes with gay abandon. If it works, oh, great. You take the branch and you do something that a real tree can't. And you connect the branch back to the trunk and you pull the code into the real the master branch into the trunk. Right. And if it goes yeah. terribly horribly wrong, you take out the virtual secateurs and you snip it off. Yeah. No, when I branch it back, I lose everything on both sides and things explode and it's, it's, it's not pretty. So I, I definitely am going to need some help with that. The biggest problem with Git is matching the language to the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times we, Dorothy or uh, uh, Helma and I have gone back and forth where I'll, I'll ask her, I say, okay, it's asking me A or B, which do these two things mean? And she says, yeah, so uh, let me go look it up again. Which one's which? I, it, it has taken me a very long time because I, I came from a world, Git is really powerful. And that brings with it some great danger. So I came from a much simpler world called the Concurrent Versioning System, or CVS. And it was really, really, really naive and dumb. But that made it much easier to use. <laughs> but Git is much better. But you really, really, really have to think a la Git and speak a la Git. Or disaster ensues. Because it will do what you ask. Oh, yeah. Not what you meant to ask. Absolutely. Well, you actually asked. And when those two are out of alignment. All right. This this worked. You got it. You got it into my brain. I think we'll see when I try to use it. 
I was going to say, if you're already writing classes, though, that's really good because that means you're already consolidating it before I've even set the challenge. This is this is very. Yeah, I didn't say I was succeeding at classes yet. Let's let's be clear. <laughs> right, I, I'm, I think I, I have something is... that's that's working, but it's not doing exactly what I intended. But it's getting there. And and I want to give a shout out to Michael Price for helping me for over an hour on the phone today with it. So. Did he get to see your code or was he helping blind as well? Uh, it's still it's still in generic stuff that you wouldn't be able to tell what it is I'm going to try to do. But I, I wanted to get it into classes before I did it because I knew it would be harder to do it the other way around. And yeah, it's easier to write your code when it's all nice and encapsulated. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> well, all right. Well, okay. This, this is fun. Well, well good, 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 good. Um, and so until next time, I think I will wish you much more happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeed.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.